Welcome to episode 89 of the Vancouver Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Ogrizik. Samantha Ming from the Events Podcast. What's going on this week? Hey, Drew. Lots of tech events this week. On Monday, CapTech is having a three-hour workshop on how you can drive more traffic to your website. This is happening at The Hive and starts at 12 p.m. On Tuesday, there are two events to choose from. The first one is a presentation about configuring AWS ECS infrastructure with Terraform and the segment stack. It's at Build Direct at 6 p.m. Or if you're interested in finding funding for your business idea or product, you can attend a presentation about raising capital for your idea. It's at 6.30 at The Profile. Moving on to Wednesday, the Learn Data Science Meetup Group is having a discussion about negotiation. This is at 6 p.m. at the SFU Harbor Center. Or you can attend React's August Meetup. Meet fellow developers and recruiters in the React community. This is at 6 p.m. at Hootsuite. Finally, on Thursday, Lighthouse Lab is hosting a free iOS workshop. In this workshop, you'll be creating your own music player app. Also on Thursday, Code and Coffee is back. Here are talks from developers in our community. This week's topics include blockchain implementation and an intro to Flutter. This is at 6.30 at Mobify. I'm Samantha Ming, and that's this week's top events you should check out. And we're here with Alejandro Lujan of ScalaQuest. Thank you very much for joining us, Alejandro. Hi, Drew, and thanks so much, uh, much for having me. Awesome. Well, why don't you tell us uh, a little bit about yourself and your, your background? Absolutely. So um, I've been a, a developer uh, and, uh, and, a, and a technical trainer for quite a few years. Uh, I've done a lot of work with Lightbent and with a number of other companies in the past. Uh, on the uh, side of training, I've taught over a thousand people on how to use Scala, Play, and Akka. So I've definitely been focusing on on the Scala ecosystem for the last few years. I uh, I organize, I currently organize Scala of North, which is the uh, first and only Scala-centered conference in Canada. So we've run this conference three times. The last was just earlier in uh, at the end of July in Vancouver. We had a great event. Um, small community-centered uh, conference, but it's a, a very, very good um, sort of gathering of people who are doing interesting things with Scala. Um, and of course, the uh, the project that is uh, dearest to my heart right now and we're spending most of my energy is Scala Quest, a game we're building to teach people Scala. Um, so very cool. Well, I'd love to jump uh, jump into that in a moment, but it does seem like you have a lot of experience with Scala. Why don't you tell us a little bit about um, about Scala and you know who's using it, who should be using it, and as a trainer and consultant, what sort of uh, what sort of role do you have, and how does Scala fit into that? Absolutely. Uh, and yes, so I've been focusing on on Scala for about six, almost seven years now. Um, and I've been both in companies that use Scala to build software, uh, but also then transitioned to Bold Radius, which later got acquired by Liben in doing consulting and training. So I got a chance to see a lot of companies were adopting the technologies because a lot of the times our role and my role was uh, helping 
companies decide whether it was the right technology for them, uh, then training them and mentoring teams into um, ramping up their, their skills and abilities. So uh, Scala, of course, is a language that runs on the JVM. So it's general purpose. You can build all kinds of applications and systems with them. But it's been uh, particularly successful with companies that want to build very highly scalable systems. So, you know, we have large names like you know, Twitter, LinkedIn, Netflix, um, and, and a number of other sort of like big, uh, you know, high traffic websites or sites and systems that, that need the ability to scale up, up and down when, when uh, their load varies, right? Uh, is Scala sort of named to sound like scale? Sort of. So they're, they're, they're actually, it is, uh, the, the actual name comes from a, uh, the, the Italian uh, word for ladder. And it is, it is inspired in, in a ladder that, that exists in the university where Mark Nodorsky teaches. So there's a bit of a, a wordplay there. But yes, it also is meant to sound like uh, scalable in the sense that uh, Scala is thought to build systems that are highly scalable. Very cool. So is it still, um, I haven't really done much with Scala. I think I've played around a little bit with Scalatra. Um, but uh, is it is it sort of a beginner-friendly language? What would be a good place to, to hop in with it? Or what would be some problems, um, I guess, scalability, but... Uh, what would be some problems or some patterns that uh, would particularly be good to solve with Scala? Um, that's really, really good. A uh, couple questions. I'm going to start with the second part, which is what are typical problems or problems that you'll typically want to solve with a language like Scala. Um, so again, you're typically thinking about back-end systems, so not, not necessarily the front-end, but the back-end components of systems that have a very large amount of data. And, um, you know, the language, of course, uh, grows into frameworks like Akka and Play and Lagom. Uh, Lagom is uh, uh, the latest uh, framework from Lightbin. And again, these are frameworks that are built so that you can easily create microservices that have small responsibilities and you can deploy independently so that you can grow and shrink capabilities within your larger systems in a very flexible way. So I'm, I'm still being very general, so I'll give you maybe maybe a couple examples. A system like Twitter uh, has, of course, an extremely large amount of data, um, uh, you know, millions of people tweeting at the same time, and the, the uh, multiplication of these matrices of connections uh, makes it an, an extremely hard, uh, even the simplest features are very hard to implement because of the scale they have. Um, so when you have something like this and you have to think about the performance of every component and how data is traveling between layers and where and how things are persisted. Um, and with all of that, Scala tries to be a language that makes it easy for you to implement these things in a very efficient manner. Now, from a developer perspective, and, and this is sort of uh, leeway into your the first part of your question, um, a lot of... A lot of developers that jump into Scala find it's a very attractive language. Um, a lot of a lot of us, I, myself included, I jumped into Scala as a better Java because it had a lot of the same types of features, but the syntax which was much more concise, shorter, dense. You could express more with less code and still have a, a fairly readable uh, chunk of code or piece of code. Uh, but then you start learning about things like functional programming. I knew little or, or no functional program before before jumping to Scala. And you start sort of 
changing the way you think about how to solve problems in ways that I think make our code much uh, stronger and less error prone. Do you, do you have an example of a way you might, uh, of a problem that you might solve uh, a particular way uh, with a, a functional programming language that would be solved differently with OOP? Absolutely. So one, one of the core uh, tenets of functional programming is immutability. So that's one of the things that, first of all, it's, it's hard when you, when you jump into trying to use immutable data structures, meaning data structures that kind of change through time. Um, and, and you come from a background where mutable variables are the de, the de facto standard. So in the world Java, most, most of us use mutability as a default. So when you have, for example, let's say a user cache, right? So you, you're the backend of an application and you have some kind of uh, data that you're caching uh, for a certain amount of time for uh, users that are logged in. Well, um, you can treat that as a problem where you either have uh, data structures that are immutable. So every time you want to quote unquote modify a user record in memory, uh, what you do is just create a new one and then store the new one in, in this mutable array. Or you can treat the cache entry for that user as a mutable object and then just modify it. Now, the problem that arises with mutable, shared mutable state or shared mutable variables is that now you can potentially have multiple threads trying to modify the same uh, area of memory at the same time. And then you get into concurrency problems. Now, when using immutable data, concurrency issues just disappear. They go away. Not to say that other problems don't arise, and they do, but <laughs> the uh, concurrency or concurrent modification problem goes away. And that's actually really, really powerful because concurrency bugs are very hard to discover. You might not realize you have one until something blows up in production. Once you find so, other than yeah, other than something like a, a race condition where you might uh, have two things trying to access and, and maybe modify the same uh, immutable store, what what would be some other um, problems that would go away? Um, so, other problem uh, that have to, have to do with uh, again shared state, and not only because of race conditions, but also because. Um, so what, one, one example that I, that I use often in my trainings is uh, think about the unit tests you have written for the components uh, that you've used, right? Uh, when you write a unit test, you typically have a class or an object that you want to test. So you have to set up some environment, then you know, call a method or two, and then verify the state after you've called those methods. Well, if that object or that class depends on state that is stored in multiple different places. And you have to make sure you set up the environment correctly and you want to make sure that you clean up correctly afterwards. Whereas if the method you're calling, which you're trying to test, only acts on the parameters or the values of the parameters that are passed in and only has an effect on the value that is returned, then you have less setup to do, no cleanup to perform, and you don't have to worry about modifications in the rest of the environment or the state around the thing you're testing. So that's what we typically call pure functions or pure methods or pure expressions. Purity comes from only acting or only need, only using the data that you have that you're passing in as parameters and only having an effect as the value that is returned of the method. 
so not having, uh, I guess, dependency on the state of external um, variables, potentially, or objects, or exactly. anything. And, and, it, and it's hard to uh, emphasize how much easier tests uh, become, how, how much simpler and, and how much more maintainable tests are when when you have... When you're when controlling the, the input. Exactly. Completely. When the expressions you're testing are mostly pure. Very cool. Yeah, that, that sounds uh, quite interesting. And I'd love to fresh up on my functional programming skills. Now, is Scala only or purely functional? No, so Scala sits in the, um, I wouldn't say sits in the middle, but rather it mixes object-oriented or functional programming. And, and that has been historical, historically, you know, uh, a boon and a bane, if you will. Um, in my opinion, it's a tremendous advantage because people like me who had only an object-oriented background could easily jump into it. And sometimes we say, you know, I started writing Java without semicolons, right? So I started writing Scala as if it was Java, um, just, uh, you know, with a slightly nicer, nicer syntax. And then you can slowly ease into, oh, look at this, I can use pure functions this way. Or look at that, I can use higher order methods or higher order functions. And slowly gain the benefits of those, right? So you do have, you definitely have a mix. You have in inheritance. Mutability is allowed, discouraged, but still allowed. And there are some things that the language cannot verify for you in terms of purity. Now, um, you know, folks who have a stronger functional programming uh, background uh, might gravitate towards things like Haskell. That is a much more strict language where you don't have a lot of the freedom that Scala allows. So, you know, there's always a, a you know, there's taste for everything. I, I think having this balance or having the ability to write uh, a variety of object-oriented or functional uh, styles, I think, is a great advantage. Let's hop over to this Scala quest. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Absolutely. And in fact, I'm, I'm going to go back to something you asked uh, that we haven't resolved, which is, is it easy to get started with Scala? And right. the answer is no. I've been training people for four years and, um, you know, it, it, there's definitely a steep learning curve. Uh, you know, depending on your background, it might be steeper or less steep, but there's, there is definitely uh, an adaptation there. Either thinking functionally, if that's not the background you have, or thinking with objects, if, if you only know FB. Uh, you know, Scala syntax can be really powerful, but you can really tweak it to, to make it hard to read. So it, it is not a language that is very easy to pick up. And, and in my opinion, that is a risk in the platforms that, that we've seen out there. And we've seen some teams who've started with Scala and then went to something that seemed easier to learn. So um, why am I saying all this? Because ScalaQuest is precisely motivated by this problem. So there is the learning material out there. There's the Coursera course by Mandrodorsky and a couple others on reactive programming that are related to Scala. Um, that I think are very good, and there are Scala exercises. There's, of course, the Lightman trainings. But I, I think there's still a tremendous need and opportunity for people who want to do self-study, who cannot afford uh, a professional training uh, that is fairly expensive, who might not even be sponsored by their companies. And that's what ScalaQuest is. So personally, I have a bit of a personal history with this because I have always believed in games the potential that games have in terms of education and learning. I myself, uh, one of the biggest pushes I had to learn English 
was playing The Legend of Zelda. So I was nice. born and uh, born and raised in Venezuela. Spanish is my first language, and we were always exposed to English. But playing games was truly a motivator for me, where being fluent or or being more more able with the language was just something that ha- that happened as a consequence of me playing. It was just part of the fun. It was part of the challenge. Right. So for me, games have always had this. This, this environment and I've always seen the tremendous opportunity that that poses and of course you know there's a whole industry of entertainment and educational games and all that but uh, there's so much opportunity there and, and you know because I've been in the Scala world for a while and I saw the opportunity uh, that's why we're creating Scala Quest so what is so Scala Quest is a game I'm looking at it right now there's a Kickstarter for it um tell us a bit about what the game is obviously it's a game to learn scala how so it is a a browser-based game um if you look at the uh the kickstarter page and it's really easy to found to find if you google kickstarter scala that's the first thing that'll pop up um i'll put a link down below as well awesome so um you'll see the graphics are very retro so you know we're going for uh you know late 80s kind of kind of game uh, console gaming style visual style and the idea is that it, it plays like a like a platformer so you're just going around in this magical world called data land and you play this uh, little guy called Juan X and he just wants to learn to tame magical forces and these magical forces are the languages that are part of this uh, fantasy world and there's a wizard called Ski and Ski will teach you the ways of Scala. Scala is just one of the forces that acts in this world. So you're you're progressing in this world, uh, and you'll have a number of different types of challenges that you'll have to um, to solve with code. So um, you know a couple of things that we show in the the video and the Kickstarter are what we're calling micro challenges, are very very simple one liner challenges where you have to write a very simple expression in Scala, um, and and you'll have to do many many of those to move forward so you'll, you're going to have to write a lot of code with this with this game and, and and that is a good thing because a lot of the other platforms i've seen out there um are are either too brief or too complex and we're trying to hit this sort of uh, sweet spot um so micro challenges are one of the mechanisms uh, that you'll have to learn and through hints the game will guide you towards the right solutions the justification why things are done in a certain way um, so the idea is that you never have to really do any reading before you jump in the game. Just jump in, and as you write code, you'll you'll be provided with hints, and and all the code you write is related to the environment you're in, so it'll all um, sort of make sense. And then we have larger challenges. Typically, each level focuses on a handful of very simple topics, and um, and the last challenge to move on to the next level is sort of like the boss. You have to defeat. In order to do that, you have to write a, a longer, more complex piece of code. Um, so this is where you have a bit more freedom, and and you know it's not a, a, a one-liner. It's typically solving a problem that's slightly uh, a little bit more complex. So this is like a, a game that you obviously uh, you you play, you play through, and you can learn Scala along the way. But you're also potentially not just learning Scala. You'd be learning um, about the types of problems. 
that you might want to solve with uh, with Scala and how it handles them? Absolutely. So you know, learning the language is is fundamental, um, and that goes for learning the syntax, um, but also learning what are the encouraged ways of solving problems with Scala. Right? So, for example, we do teach you that there's such a thing as a var to create mutable variables, uh, but then part of the story of the game uh, will will discourage the use of vars. So we talk about the evils of mutability on the, all these things. So. Uh, you subconsciously are forming an opinion that the game is um, imprinting in you of how uh, certain things are done. And of course, the examples will also show typical problems that are handled in a certain way where Scala is a good fit. Um, and, uh, and again, through the messaging and the story, we, we try to reinforce all that. So how much of the game uh, is currently complete or feature complete? So we have uh, our goal is to is to go live at the end of this year or beginning of next year uh, with eight levels, and eight levels just to give you an idea of the content. Eight levels is what a uh, a uh, sort of like a beginner Scala course would provide. Okay, so out of the eight levels that we need to go live uh, beginning of next year, we have three levels that are completed, um, which you know seems like we're at a third of, of the content. So our goal is to, after we go live, we'll be able to produce uh, at least one level per month. So once we go out there and you start playing the game, there will always be new content, right? So this is to give you an idea of sort of the, the cadence of new material uh, that, that we're challenging ourselves uh, to come up with. Now, how long, would, um, how long would a level take to complete and what sort of takeaway might I get per level? Um, our goal is that if you have zero experience with it, a level should take you about 45 minutes to complete. Um, so it's you know a good a good sitting and and you'll get at least a couple topics um, that are solid. So to give you an idea, level number one teaches you how to create vowels and vars, how do I type annotations? so I, how do I explicitly indicate the type of a variable? And we go through wild loops as well. All of those are chosen because they're not only very fundamental, but all developers have already a basis of what most of those are. So that would be level one. So you, so once you finish that, you have an idea of sort of the, the basic building blocks of language. And then you move on to level two, uh, which is all about classes and objects. So we teach you the basics of how to structure a class, what are typical class members, what are singleton objects, and how do they relate uh, to each other, et cetera. This is pretty awesome. And it looks like the um, the overall goal is not even that high. Uh, you're looking for a, about 22,000 Canadian dollars. Yeah. So uh, it's, uh, you know, we've been self-funded uh, since the beginning. We've been running for about six months now. So the uh, the funding that will come out of the Kickstarter is, it is important for us, of course. So it'll, it'll help us push the project forward. Um, and help us, uh, you know, fund a little bit of our marketing and, and some of the, the additional efforts beyond uh, development. Um, and, um, and yeah, that's uh, that's where we're at. We Our Kickstarter is running until um, August 19, or the very early hours of August 19, which is um, Saturday this week. Um, and we're about halfway there, so we need uh, all the support we can get. Awesome. Well, uh, I'm I'm about to make my pledge right after we finish recording this, and I, I sure hope to uh, get to play this game because it seems like a lot of fun. 
Um, yeah, when can we expect, uh, if things go well with the Kickstarter, when can we expect to be able to start playing? Um, like I said, our goal is to be end of, end of this year or beginning of next year. So this is August now, so we're talking about four months of, uh, of development to, to complete the eight levels. One of the things we're seeing now, uh, you know, the Kickstarter platform, I've known about it for, for very long, but this is the first project uh, that I've launched on the platform per se. Um, but one of the things we're seeing on the, on the last few days has been really interesting because we're getting now back up from um, some some corporations as well. So we recently got um, a good backup from the Scala Center, which is a nonprofit uh, focused on the Scala community. We're getting some funding from Lightbind as well. And, uh, and a couple other very large uh, corporations have contacted us to, to provide support as well. So um, it... Our game is definitely aimed and marketed and, and, and we're selling it to individual developers. Um, this, that's our target and, and that's the reason we're picking a pricing scheme that is going to be very affordable for anyone who, who you know does any kind of development, doesn't have to be sponsored by the company. But to have the, the backup of, uh, and the encouragement of, of these organizations is, is really important for us because it means they believe in that, that this could be successful, that this could be a good environment to learn such a complex topic as a new programming language. Very cool. Well, Alejandro, if people want to reach out to you, um, what's what are some good ways to do so? Um, so you can you can easily find me on LinkedIn and Twitter, Alejandro Luhan, uh, and you know, or through the Kickstarter, of course. Um, you you can always messages and follow us and and back the project if if you think this is something cool that that should exist. Uh, it should be very easy to, to find me on the interwebs. Well, thank you so much for being on the Vancouver Tech Podcast. Uh, I'm, I'll make sure to pledge to ScalaQuest right away. Thank you very much. And thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Vancouver Tech Podcast. Check out our website, vancouvertechpodcast.ca. Rate and subscribe on iTunes. Much appreciated. You can follow us on Twitter, Van Tech Podcast. Feel free to leave some comments below. You can also hit us up on the YVR Dev, the Vancouver Tech, the Van Tech Slacks. I'm at James. And I'm at Drew. Special thanks to Same Room for hooking us up with an integration that allows us to have a cross-team Slack channel, Van Devs. Do you have a meetup that you want us to plug? Email us, show at vancouvertechpodcast.ca. Music by A Shell in the Pit from the game Parkitect. See you at one of the meetups around, around town. town.